So we are going through the book of Jude, a, a, a relatively unpopular book, certainly um, not one that many people have got, uh, you know, the baptismal verses of came for Jude, or they've got fridge magnets with lots of quotes of, of Jude on it. Jude is a book that's about fighting, about contending, about standing up and standing out. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the church in the first century is when this would have been written and what was happening. And it's a warning to us. It's not only a warning, it's a wake-up call and it's an invite to fight. Now, when I was younger, I grew up in Askeem in Glasgow. And um, like many people, uh, certainly who grew up in that environment, I'm sure it's in other environments, but in that environment there are times you had to fight. I didn't like fighting. Uh, but there are times you had to fight. I did hang out with some handy people at times who did love to fight. One guy who loved to fight, and for some reason, I do not know why, I hung about him for a while, and his nickname was Anger. And I once saw him fight a bunch of guys with a baseball bat that was, la that was laced with nails. <laughs> he was mental. But that wasn't in my heart, but if push comes to shove, uh, you had to fight. And on one occasion, I was stabbed, um, which isn't a badge of honor. It's just the garbage, rubbish place that I grew up in at times. And I don't like fighting as a Christian. I've came to realization, although I can be bolshy and very stubborn for things that I believe in, I hate conflict. I detest conflict. I detest difficulty between a brother or sister. I detest the look that you know that there's something behind the look. I detest having to go to people and saying, Am I, I'm sorry, what have I done wrong? And I really hate going to people and saying, you are in the wrong. I hate conflict. And yet Jude calls us to fight. He does. It's undeniable. In over five or six or seven weeks, however long, uh, we're going to just explore some of the themes in that. Jude, as we're about to see, sat down to write a certain letter, but then he wrote this letter. Verse 3 in Jude. And we're just going to read two verses. Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. You can see here that Jude did settle down to write a letter uh, about the, the salvation, the common salvation that they share, about the truth around about that the, the, they both shared with each other. Um, and yet he eventually wrote a call to arms. So I would, this morning, in any time, much rather focus in a sermon that was all about hallelujah. 
But at times we need to focus on the full word of God, where at times we are to cry, Hosanna. I'd much rather take time to go, to go through the life of the apostles, but there are other times, and in the weeks of Jude, we are going to be looking at the life of the apostates. I felt I had to write, it says, in my NIV. In the New King James Version, it says, I found it necessary to write. And if you look at that word, the need and the necessity, you find that it's a word to do with pressure. It's to do with squeezing. And so in my imagination, I can see Jude. Forgive me if I say Paul at times. I've just realized in my prep that I'd written down lots of Pauls rather than Jude. So if I do that, it's just a typo. But I can imagine Jude sitting down to write this letter about the salvation this year to encourage them and yet being pressurized by the Holy Spirit, being squeezed to the point where he could not deny that he had to change what was originally on his heart and he had to focus in not on what he thought which was best but what the Holy Spirit undeniably was showing him was the best. He wanted to write something sweet but pressurized by the Holy Spirit, his thinking changed to bring something that was more pressing to the church here. So what is Jude calling us to do? Let's read verse 3 again. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you, we just looked at that about the salvation we share, I felt, I felt compelled, I needed to, I was pressurized I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So in, our first, the first, uh, in verse 3, we're going to look at that in three parts. I felt I was compelled to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The Holy Spirit was saying, this is the topic for this church. This is what they need to hear for them to walk in the way of Jesus. Contend. What does it mean? I often look at other translations. So the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, when he's looking at that word contend, what does it really mean? He says, I have to wrestle, I, I have to write, insisting, begging that you fight with everything you have within you. Contend. Write and say this to them, that they must fight with everything that they have in them. Young's literal translation, I had necessity, necessity to write to you, exhorting to agonize. In the New King James, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly. So you've got that feeling. To contend means we, we use everything, not just a part. It means that we are agonizing. It is pressure. There's maybe boxing image that comes to your mind with contenders or maybe athletic. But it really is the fight and it's agonizing. And earnestly means that it's worth something, that it's, it's hearty. It's not just the head, it's the whole of the life. So we are to come and we are to contend 
not just pick and choose, not just a little bit. We are to contend even in the place where no one is watching us. We are content to contend in our private place, away from the crowds. It is there, even there, that we are con to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints. Contend is the Greek word, ep agonize o mei. Ep agonize o mei. So only used here in the New Testament. And we get the English word, agonize. So when it comes to contending for the faith, we are to fight. We are to agonize. We are to labor for it. Therefore, we're to stay strong. By the grace of God. We've not to grow weary. As some others do. We're called not to check out when it gets difficult. Not to procrastinate and put it off to tomorrow. And to watch that we're becoming apathetic about certain areas or maybe just generally about the faith. When I came to faith in Queen's Park Baptist Church when I was 15, and I've said this before, but for those who have not heard it before, my youth leader, who was Andy Kennedy, uh, says to challenged us at one point to look about and it was a huge wife, 150, 200 people strong and he said he used some stat like in 10 years time they say that only 10% will be following Jesus or whatever statistic it was it was it caused me to think and to remember it 35 years later and I do look back not in a judgmental, maybe through no fault of their own, maybe through apathy, maybe through sin, whatever it may be, but they've grown weary and they no longer follow Jesus. My sister, who was the biggest inspiration to me, uh, taught me how to uh, pray, took me along to Queen's Park Baptist as a young guy. It was one of the reasons why I left the Orange Order, one of the reasons I, I left the flute band, one of the reasons I went to that youth weekend away and came to faith. She was with me with, with her YWAM leader, Mark Pecure. They prayed for me that the, I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. At that point, I spoke in tongues. She was the biggest encouragement for me, but unfortunately, she married an abuser. And her faith was stolen through the hurt that she endured during those years. So I, I know the situations where people are pulled away from following Jesus, but for those of us who can think and can dis discuss it and who can wrestle with it just now beware contend take seriously the small things as well as the large things ep agonize o mei why should we do this because it's of the greatest importance you fight for the things that you value and the faith that Jude is speaking about here is, is of incredible value. Mark, Matthew 13, 44. I've put it there. It's so value, it's like hidden treasure in a field when a man found it or a woman found it. He hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The faith that Jude is encouraging them to contend, to fight, to stand, to agonize, is, he does that because he believes 
100% that it's worth it, worth more than any gold, any, any reputation, any future. The faith is the most important thing. And Jude is challenging us to fight. And the question only you can ask is, will you fight? As I was preparing this um, this week, I'd done work last week, but as I was preparing this this week and I had to sit down, came away from a few busy meetings and I knew I've got prep time, I had to sit down. It was one of the hardest things I did. I was thinking fleshly, lustfully in my mind. I, I was thinking about coffee every half hour. Um, I was thinking of all the good things that I could do and I was also thinking about things that I should have done. And I, be, I, and I was aware of it because I've done this for years and I just know how my mind works. And at that point, if I was truly going to hear what the Lord would say to people today, then I had to do the work. I had to contend. I had to wrestle. I had to fight. I had to give up the things that in my heart of Mel. In my mind at that point, I wanted to do, but I knew it wasn't right to do. I had to choose the right thing to do. Sometimes I don't. But the grace of God, this time, I did. That's my experience. What will you do in fine? I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what the Lord is challenging you on. Maybe it's over how much alcohol you consume. Maybe it's over how much time you give to your spouse. Maybe it's over the money that you have been given as a steward and how you give it and use it. I've not got a clue. Or maybe it's over an area of doctrine that has been held, that's been passed down once for all for the saints that you just struggle with and you're contending with because there's other voices speaking in that challenge that doctrine that's been held since the time of Christ passed on through the apostles by the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you're fighting for. But will you engage in the struggle? Can't just leave it to leaders to pop their heads above the parapet. You yourself and your situation, because everyone is a leader in some form of another. People look to you. And they're making their mind up about Jesus through you. Don't just leave it to those who've got a, a position of leadership or a, are acknowledged as leaders. They cannot fight the fight for you. You must contend as the Lord, I believe, has commanded you to contend. So what are we called to fight for? So we're told to contend we're told to contend for the faith. So what is the faith? I've just said that I believe it's the body of teaching, the body of Christian teaching. It is the truth that is given in Scripture. Everyone has a form of faith. Some people have got faith in nothing. S silly idea of faith is you're all sitting in a seat believing that the welding is going to support you. It's just faith. You sat down because you've sat down in the seat before. But Jude here is referring to the faith. Or the apostles' doctrine. You know Acts chapter 2, 42 that put up? Yeah. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. 
If you see this as an example of how we are to follow in the dust of our rabbi Jesus, well, right away, as soon as they were forming themselves into groups, they says, what is worth contending for? What is important? How are we to raise people in the faith? And they says, well, we believe the Holy Spirit has anointed the apostles. And so we we'll commit ourselves to apostles' teaching. We believe that fellowship is important, so we're going to gather before the Lord and his table and we're going to be prayerful people acknowledging that God is sitting in his throne and we have an advocate, Jesus, who is at his right hand praying for us. This term, the faith, is found throughout the New Testament and I've put just a few, but I'll read them because I think I've just put the references there. Here is what the New Testament, just a few examples, say about the faith. 1 Corinthians 16, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Colossians 2, or is it? No, 2 uh, Corinthians. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. In 1 Timothy 4, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That is apostasy. And that's exactly what Jude is addressing here at the beginning and in the next uh, sermon or two that I'm going to look at, apostasy. The faith is that which has been handed down by the apostles through the inspiration and ministry of the Holy Spirit concerning the example and the teaching of Jesus in the fullness of Scripture. Jude says to us, we who follow and stand on the shoulders of these great giants of the faith, who have been handed the banner for these days, are also commanded to contain, to contend for the faith, for that which was being passed down. And the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, meaning, dead simply, delivered once the truth of the faith for all times. God didn't go, whoops, and then say, I better pass a note on to Muhammad, or I better pass a note with some further truth on to Joseph Smith. From revelation, that is it. The Holy Spirit brings revelation from his word. We need not anything add on to it. History is an important thing. People who have gone before us have worked out heresy. So I would encourage you all to be, even if it was just... Certainly a young people, even if it was just a, a little interest in history, but read how the early church dealt with all sorts of issues such as the divinity of Christ and such as Gnosticism or antinomianism, for instance, which had this inflated idea of grace from the 16th century, but traces itself back to Gnosticism, where it says grace is what it's all about. Law, we've got nothing to do with law. But they stretched it to such a point where they're saying the spiritual realm is important and the physical realm is not important, i.e. Gnosticism. 
Whereas we know, because Paul taught, not a dualistic idea of the human uh, experience, life, but the wholeness of it from Judaism, from God himself, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The body is important. So these things have all been contained in the past. And today, they increasingly are resurfacing. And we need not reinvent the wheel. We need not be fearful of our culture, which is bringing so much of a different worldview that just comes against the Judeo-Christian worldview in alarming ways that make us feel fearful. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in times gone by have went through it, learned from them, take a healthy interest in the history of the church. So why? And I believe this is why. I'm going to read verse 4 because it's been a long time since I read this. Yeah. Why? Well, because of these reasons. This is why we're to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints for all time. For certain men, I'll go with the term people, for certain people whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless people who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. This is the church in the first century. This isn't 16th century you know, post-Reformation um, where they're, they're trying to work out all the sort of things that they had to work out there. This is the, the early, this is the first century. And Jude is, is, is calling them to look about. Now, I don't want to encourage a witch hunt in the slightest. But we're told to watch out. And in these days and age, in fact, it's been for decades where you get tele-evangelists and, and we were talking about it in our home group this week, um, where you get ministries that are named after individuals. And just maybe that should cause alarm because we elevate our leaders to the position of superhero. That they are a step closer to Jesus than we are. Because we are in the cult of personality and the cult of hero. And because money, sex and power, that unholy trinity are just so inviting for us especially in a position of leadership to get involved in. But I don't want to encourage a witch hunt, but here is what Jude is encouraging the church in the first century. He says, there are certain individuals who have secretly slipped in among you. In other words, they're deceitful. They've crept in unnoticed. Good Scottish word, they're sleek it. If you're from Brazil, sleek it means slippery snakes. They're sleek it. They don't announce themselves. They are undercover. They do not walk in the dust of the rabbi Jesus. Therefore, I would say they pretend in areas in their life to be followers of Christ. They engage in lots of outward things, but they are not followers of Jesus in the private realm. I think Jesus warned them, warned us that they were coming. If you look at New Testament writings, epistles, Paul and Peter warned the church that they're going to come. And here Jude in the first century said, they're here. They've slipped in 
unnoticed. We've welcomed them in. And we'll see later on that, that, that they're sitting at the love feast. They're right at the heart of the church, celebrating the, the, the death of, of Christ and, and all that that means and remembering. And they're even there, but they're sleek at. They're deceivers. They're not following Jesus fully. And they're causing issues. They're ungodly people. In other words, they're not of God. What does this mean? They are therefore ungodlike. Six times Jude, if you trace a wee pencil in my Bible here, six times he uses the word ungodly. It's something that he is um, noticing. And he's compelled, he's pressurized by the Holy Spirit to mention to the church, there's ungodly people among you. Don't let them um, remain there. Call it out. Contend for the faith. Know doctrine. Know what it means to follow Jesus. Live by example. And maybe they will, I don't know, shamed to follow Jesus and repent. Repent and then follow Jesus. I don't know. But they're followers of Jesus in name only if he calls them ungodly people in the church. Why are they so dangerous? Because a little leaven, you know that, will leaven the whole. It just does that. Let ungodly people slip in and gain places of influence. Everything is tainted. But this is not witch hunt time. This comes from scripture. Three, they, prevent, uh, they pervert sorry, the grace of our God into a license for immorality. In other words, the manipulators of grace. Grace is one phrase and immorality is another. I'm just going to pick out briefly here. Their motto when it comes to grace is this. I'm saved by grace. And so God, true to his character, will forgive me. It seems so right. But it's actually a form of cheap grace. Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Deny your family. Jesus says, if I'm worth it, if I'm that treasure, then deny yourself. Store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy or steal. But yet it seems because they prevent grace, they're very comfortable saying time and time and time again, sorry Lord. But for them, it's too hard to pick up their cross. Listen, I'm on my knees often. I know what it means to sin repeatedly in my mind. And then sometimes that, you know, physically will manifest. I know what that means. I, I, I'm not denying grace. And I mean, many times I get back up off my knees and follow Jesus only to fall in that same habitual sin. But the danger is that I'm just comfortable Saying it's just the way I am. It's a habitual sin. I will never be able to beat this. That is so wrong. Contend. That's what the kingdom's all about. The, the way of Jesus will begin to be seen amongst people like us. Therefore, we will be the light of the world. As Christ is the light of the world. It's too much for them to demonstrate to repentance. Say it in the form of cultivated holy habits are fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's too hard. Sorry, Lord, it's too hard. 
That is a perversion of grace. Jesus has overcame. And the work he has begun in you and me, he will continue to focus in on that until the day of Jesus. He won't forget it and pass on to something else. And they prevent the grace of our God into a license for immorality. In other words, they promote their ungodly lifestyle, and, but they say it's morally good because it's a perversion of grace. If you don't agree with them, they will have nothing to do with you because you're judging them. And who are you to judge? These people turn against you and they feel justified when the church which is so in the past, are silenced or even closed. It's classic cancel culture. They pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And we're going to look in a, a few weeks' time just what this immorality is, this perversion that's being peddled as being normal, as being right, as being because God is a God of love. We're going to look at this but not today, because it takes a lot longer than two minutes. And finally, they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign as Lord. Therefore, they deny Christ. Somehow, it's possible for them to say, yes, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, but not to live under the authority of Christ. Somehow, they're able to do that. We may do that in many ways. In fact, I think Colossians... Rather than us focusing in, I felt compelled to do this, rather than us focusing in on the biggie, immorality, sexual immorality and, and all of that, I wanted to just look at a little challenge for us that we can definitely take away. Where we justify certain things because we grade sinfulness, we grade ungodliness. And we're not like those guys. So Colossians, great letter. Where Paul says in verse 3, we always thank God. That's a call out to the farm. God bless Julie. We always thank God. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that the right one? No, I'm going to go to verse 3. Chapter 3, sorry. And verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Here's the biggie. Sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's doctrine. It's biblical truth. Pass from Christ and before down to the apostles through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things of these. Just focusing on the biggies. Anger, rage, malice, slander, which is gossip, filthy language from your lips. Do not even lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator. If we contend, if we choose to fight, if we choose to take those words seriously, if when we're out we're mates who swear and we swear too easily 
and have a little check in her spirit and say, I'm going to shut my mouth because it's no good. As you know, I'm the chaplain at St. Johnson and I'm in that whole, I mean, I'm in with the bricks at St. Johnson. And the language there is normal language for normal people. And the stories there are normal stories for normal people when you get a bunch of guys together who really have no, it's like you're back at school and you're 16, sometimes. And the greatest danger for me is to see myself as just one of the boys, to fit in and to get a laugh. It's not what I'm called to. I put off that old way of life and I'm called to a different way of life to watch my tongue, to watch my anger, to watch that I don't talk about people. I'm great at gossiping. My wife pulls me up in this all the time. It really annoys me because a good gossip is so good. It really is. To have someone who agrees with you and you just get it off your chest. No, 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 no. Repent. Stop being a mouthpiece for the evil one before the throne of God. Will you take serious and fight for the seemingly small things but yet are still things that we are called to as we follow in the dust of our Rabbi Jesus and our Saviour? Because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? I cannot fight for you. I can only share what I sense that I could share. I cannot contend for you. I cannot be victorious for you. Your spouse cannot do that for you either. As my spouse, Miranda, is an incredible encouragement for me. I could not do ministry if it wasn't for Miranda. But yet, I cannot hold on to her coattails. It's not like that, but you know what I'm getting at. I must contend for myself. It is done. Jesus says, the victory has been done. I am saved, but I have to work out my salvation so that one day I will know that salvation fully. Today. Tomorrow. Church. Until that day, we hopefully stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. As he has said to our queen, well done, good and faithful servant. Paraphrase, and I've, you were faithful with a little and now I will make you a ruler over much. Wow, that's the treasure. That's the faith. And Jesus is the first fruit of that way which we are called to and to contend for. Shall we be silent for a, a number of moments and then I'll pray Richard and the guys will come up and lead us in a final song but let's just be silent please in the song O Holy Night I guess there's an exhortation to fall on your knees and hear the angels voices O night divine, 
as we have those examples where the angels met the shepherds and sang about the peace that was available for all mankind through this infant how much more should we be on our knees before the victorious risen Lord Jesus who has gone before us the author and perfecter of our faith how much more should we be on our knees in obedience to the life that he has called us to, a good life, a life in all of its fullness, a life worth living. Father, may we follow you by the power of your Holy Spirit in your grace, correcting and guiding us along that narrow gate, that narrow path, but the path well trodden by saints who have gone before us. In the way of Jesus, so that others may see and be intrigued as I was as a young teenager about people of dynamic faith and so that they may be led to on their knees in repentance and faith that Jesus is who he says he is. Father, may that be so. Have your way in us. May we be people of the faith. May we be people of the truth. And may we live it in private and in public contending for that which you've called us to. And may you be glorified in the name of Christ I ask. Amen.